Shane, welcome. Thank you very much, Matt. Um, Pleasure to be here. We love talking fishing, don't we? We do, <laughs> yeah. Till the cows come home. So, just as a, a basic overview then, what should our listeners be looking out for when they fish a venue for the first time? First and foremost, I will always say the most important thing, whether you're fishing a local area, your home backyard, or even um, going away for a couple of days holiday, always rely on local knowledge. If you can uh, ever wander around a jetty, a harbour, a pier, be as polite as you can, show some interest, speak to the local anglers, finding out snags, local baits, um, recommendation of rigs, etc. is always your first and probably your foremost important part for fishing is basic local knowledge. So, for example, like myself, um, if I travel to Weymouth, uh, I, I go down quite regular. Uh, I've been going now for several years. Um, I always go and have a speak with the local anglers, which most of the time you'll find most anglers are very friendly. Um, yeah, so basically, really, um, first and foremost, um, when you go to an area, try and look at the area from high tide to low tide. Obviously, this might, might take up a little bit of time. Look for um, stuff that's washed up on the beach, especially after a storm. I mean, oh, okay, yeah. So, what what sort of things would you, would you be looking at? Well, again, like at the moment, um, predominantly the weather's been rather fine in Hastings at the moment, um, east nor'easterlies, so uh, quite fine weather. But there is a large quantity of shellfish at the moment. Uh, greater cockles, uh, which is also known as the queen cockle, the rough cockle, um, mussels, uh, razorfish. Um, generally, anything that fish will feed on that's being washed up on the top of the high water mark will give you an indication to what this what fish are feeding on at the moment most fish will actually not want to expend too much energy eating food um the, you always find big fish so uh, lazy yeah that's it like <laughs> like, lazy fish. like anybody i suppose <laughs> at the end of the day i mean if um if you haven't got to reach across the table and there's a big bag of chips there you're going to eat yeah. more from there than rather than keep walking over <laughs> there <laughs> as such but uh no really i'm uh, um that that's very important to take visual notes all the time especially when it comes to looking at the food sources again um, as I said, local knowledge, be polite, be respectful, ask about bylaws, because obviously there's a lot of bylaws now. You do find that um, from past knowledge, I mean, I've just recently come back from Ireland, uh, Dublin, and uh, I had to obviously pop into their local tackle shop, um, Rory's Tackle. Um, and basically, again, uh, very, very nice people, very friendly, um, but I... Uh, you do get the impression that uh, until you spent a few pennies that um, they're not going to give away too much of their secrets. So for a better re retrospective on that, I would say you're better off with local people rather than going to your tackle dealer or to the local tackle dealer first because of they'll always be very helpful. They'll always give you advice, but obviously they're in business and you're better off really talking to your local angler on the beach who's actually fishing at mark especially if they're a seasoned angler if um they fish this mark regular you usually get a feel for these things i mean um on that side it's usually my first and foremost jump off point I engage it on the point that if someone comes up and speaks to me 
I'll always have a look, see what their rigs are like, try and give them an example of the size hooks they should be using for the time of the year, the baits that we'd be using, and preferably what their casting capabilities are, and also their knowledge of the species as well, because uh, over the years I've come across many, many anglers, and some good, some bad, some I've learnt from, some have been a hindrance, and I have discovered that uh, uh, um, how can I put this um, some anglers don't actually realise what fish they're catching for an example I yeah. quite often get um, new anglers or anglers that don't fish regularly saying oh I caught this massive place <laughs> and as an ex ichthyologist fish doctor I've in, been intrigued and I said oh can you tell me a bit oh I've got a photo on my phone and they've showed me and again I wouldn't want to offend them because obviously we don't want people leaving the sport and I've looked, and it's turned out to be a, a flounder rather than yeah. a place. Or it's interesting you say that. I, I was fishing a rock mark up in North Wales, mm. and um, this guy. I was very young, I was about 12, 13 years old, and I wanted, you know, thirst for knowledge. And I spoke to this guy, and I said, "You've caught anything?" He said, "I've had five bass." I said, "Brilliant!" You know, I had a little book, and I looked up in a book what a bass was. Yeah. And uh, you know, fished for it accordingly. I had my lures and. Waiting for this bass and single hooks and what have you, and uh, I ended up catching black bream. And I thought, oh well, you know, mm. some black bream, it's a nice fish as well. And this guy, all along, had five black bream, so he yeah. mixed up his black bream with his bass. And, mm. you know, Which again, it. that brings me on to another point that uh, a situation like that. Now, as we know, the seas are getting a, a rough deal at the moment and have been for a long time. Now. This also brings in minimum size limits, and knowing the species of fish, for example, as you've just said, um, in the southeast it's 36 centimetres is a legal bass. I'm not sure about black bream, but for example, with what you've just said, he could have possibly been taking fish that he thought was legally yeah, yeah, sized yeah, and that. could well have had a run in and with. And that uh, ties in, of course, nicely fishing and mark for the first time because yeah. there are regional. Varieties, and I think the Irish. We'll, we'll check this on yeah. the notes at the end of the podcast. But I think the Irish bass limit is you know, three or four yeah. centimetres yeah. bigger. Yeah, forty-two. 40 yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and also there's uh, speaking to the chaps in Rory's tackle in Dublin. Um, they was actually saying as well that um, certain areas you can't take fish full stop. Um, again, like at Weymouth, you can fish in in uh, side Portland Harbour all year round fish for bass as well but it is a nursery area there is no yeah. commercial yeah. fishing allowed so predominantly the anglers that are there will take one or two fish for the table and everything else is released so again you're, you're not upsetting the ecosystem and because of your targeting one particular species you're not going to do any damage or impact as long as you haven't got 50,000 anglers all yeah. the at the same time which I've, I've never seen anyway so um, in the retrospective of that is it's a well-managed situation yeah. that uh, everybody can enjoy some nice safe fishing, family fishing, children can get involved and at the same time, as we know, the great British weather changes very, very quickly. Temperatures at the moment are very low, so for example at the moment there isn't a great deal of fish moving. What fish are moving are very lethargic, so they're not burning a lot of energy and obviously with northeasterly winds... There's not a great stirring of the seabed, so there's not a lot of food. So, And also this brings clarity to water, which again is great for visual hunting species like flounders and place. Um, so 
recommendation wise at the moment these fish are moving in i've recently caught some cracking place from hastings at the moment up to one pound six and again some beautiful flounders um it this time of the year now the next month or two is the transition of the changeover between what most anglers will call the scratchy season rocklings the last of the dabs um, the odd flounder moving into the spring warmer temperatures where the bass will start to move back in the place is starting to fatten up after spawning in the autumn so it's it's little things like that to, that uh, the, well, the waters at Hastings are, are relatively shallow so they do take a lot longer to warm up whereas uh, down the west country you've got the Gulf Stream runs up through there and obviously that, that tends to keep the temperatures that little bit warmer and so for example they get the lion's share of bass fishing all through the winter um, heavy storms the water clarity is a lot better they've got a lot of heavy deep water rock marts and obviously the fish can stay there and feed quite happily and don't have to go out like here they go very deep they they ball up spawn and then they start moving in april may depending on the water temperatures i mean um again going back to the um crab molts etc obviously these areas, the water, the water temperatures are slightly two to three degrees higher, so that the fish obviously know this and can start feeding earlier. Whereas, again, this comes back to what we were saying earlier regarding walking round a mark. I mean, uh, there's several marks that I, I've been to over the years where I've walked down this time of the year, March, April, and seen large quantities of um, common shore crab shells piled up in corners. Now, that is a good indicator because, obviously... If that gully takes them uh, shells into a small area, you know predominantly in that area there's going to be a large amount of crabs. Now, up here, we, as bass anglers, we don't tend to favour peeler crab. Um, I don't really know many people that have caught fish on peeler crabs, whereas down the West Country, they're a very big favourite. Yeah, Isle of Wight. And, and that's important, isn't it? Because you could get a, a very good angler from, mm. from the South West um, heads east and maybe maybe try some of the you know yeah. local marks here and, and we, their we, golden bait that's the bait right that they're paying we've exp- know, one pound <coughs> one pound fifty per small crab yeah. it's not it's not working <laughs> well again you don't want to be wasting money I mean uh, part of angling as much as if uh, many anglers I've spoken to what I've summarised over the years of what they get out of the fishing is whether you're a novice or a professional is the peace and tranquility of uh, nature the obviously the side of um, going out and catching a fish which is always the most important or an added bonus whichever way you look at it but with the bait collection um, you've got to be looking at the point of today everybody the economy is very tight everybody needs to be able to budget and still enjoy their hobby or relaxation so regarding uh, collection of of using baits this comes back to trying to put in a little bit of um, early knowledge, or sorry, um, going back to the local knowledge. For example, um, my friend uh, Phil at Weymouth, he came up a few years ago for some bass fishing. He comes up quite regular and decided to try float fish dragworm, right. and the fish wouldn't touch it. Yeah. Now, as a gambling man, I've caught many, many fish on ragworms, um, again, but in the deeper water place. Because obviously place flatfish are triggered by visual sights and that wiggle. Now, a few years ago I went to the Isle of Wight and I met um, a chap over there 
who was um, fished the marks for years and years, and they predominantly use small ballon wrasse, cork wing wrasse. Now, again, lights, it's a very great area for sub-anglers because some anglers won't use live baits. They feel mm. that they're actually torturing the fish. Now, again, it's a great area on that side because if you're going to be a hunter, regardless, you're, if you want to uh, catch your quarry, you're going to have to use what's necessary. So for a, a better term... If you feel uncomfortable using live baits, then obviously go to the next alternative, try artificials. Today the market is getting very big now in Japanese artificial ragworms, prawns, shrimps, fish, squids. Um, so again, to, to really put that into a nutshell, bait collection um, does need to be looked at quite carefully because of, you don't want to be wasting your hard-earned pennies going down to the beach when someone says to you, oh, we only fish blow lugworm here, yeah. and you've turned up with ragworm. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily always work that way, but a prime example of what I'm saying there is peeler crab does not fish that great inshore on the southeast. I dare say there's, there's anglers out there that would come back yeah. and argue. One of the, we, we don't have... Um, any dangerous fish as such in the British waters apart from the lesser and greater weaver but some people do have anaphylactic shock through yeah. the uh, spines of bass through the yeah, spurs of dabs and place again yeah. so uh, not necessarily anaphylactic shock but infections through the wounds unfortunately where I've been at sea there's more sea blood uh, salt water in my veins than there is blood <laughs> so I don't I, I mean I've been stung many times by weavers my father's been stung my grandfather was stung, so I've built up an immunity over the years. So, right. is I that mean, right? oh, that's interesting. I yeah. Mean, uh, and now, is it right that the lesser weaver is slightly more potent? That's than the greater that's correct. Weaver, isn't it? Yeah, the the greater weaver's toxin is is a lot less potent, and um, it again, depending on whether you suffer from um, any allergies. I mean, again, unfortunately, <laughs> I, I've been in that uh, category, and the first the first and foremost situation if you are stung by a poisonous fish um, which I've had the pleasure of many over the years in <laughs> recently in Turkey um, I was in Turkey a couple of years ago and again going back to the local knowledge uh, I fished for a couple of days on my, my own particular rigs and wasn't doing very well I decided to go down to the local harbour um, fish along with a few of the youngsters and a few of the elder gentlemen there and even though we couldn't speak um, or I couldn't speak very good Turkish we managed to understand each other from the fish point of view. And this actually led to a, a quite a funny situation, really, was uh, we, we was fishing uh, on the end of a jetty with an outlet, and the chaps next to me, young lads, were hand-lining, and I was fishing a small travel rod, and they was taking a small fish about four to five inches long called a Sakura. Now, it looks like a black bream with a walnutty um, kind of walnut colour to it, now, every time they lifted them out of the water, they was trying to put them into this little half, um, two-litre um, water bottle with the lid chopped off, obviously, to take home. But they was panicking. I could see by what was happening. They was panicking and, and messing around, trying to get them off the hooks. And so I promptly picked the fish up, took the hook out, put it in the water. And obviously, there was a lot of chatter, and I carried on. Didn't think no more about it, and saw them do it again. And I thought, well, they were, they were hand-line fishing. They were a bit... They'd, the youngsters are having a bit of fun. Possibly they're not taking their fishing as seriously as uh, an old veteran like myself. 
So uh, I, I finished off uh, fishing there and decided to move a bit further down due to a large turtle appearing, which was becoming a bit wow. of a pest. Yeah, it was quite fantastic to see uh, yeah. a, a three-foot turtle appear right in front of you. <laughs> but um, so I, I moved down to where the boats were moored and got chatting with one of the locals, uh, one of the local boat handlers okay. there. Uh, I carried on fishing and I started catching these Sakura and various other small bream and stuff and. Uh, just as I was taking the fish out of the water, I just went to place my hands on it, and he said, uh, I'll just let you know that's a very poisonous fish. I said, oh, <laughs> now I realise why you just, you just the youngsters... I've just hand- <laughs> Lucky enough, I'd handled them in the correct way, which I do with most fish, by hold- holding the dorsal fin down. Because as I say, they're very much like a small bream, holding the dorsal fin down. But as I'd actually done this with the very last fish, as he just told me, I'd taken the hook out of its mouth and as I went to throw it back its um, dorsal fin had stood up and pricked me in the thumb and for three hours I had quite a painful hand it was throbbing very well very very painful Um, and again it's situations like this obviously I was on holiday uh, I I was with family I didn't want to upset anybody and make a panic but I mean the local chap said to me said I recommend you go to the hospital but being a, a, an ex-fish doctor or um, ichthyologist, I understand that the quickest and the easiest way to release the swelling is to put your your um, limb, whether it be hand or foot, into very, very hot water, obviously not to scold yourself, but as hot as you can tolerate, and this will break down the toxin, which is a nerve toxin, in the tissue, and within two to three hours, you usually settle back down and the swelling's gone. But this does obviously go on the point that I would still recommend if you are if you are stung by anything to go to your, to your local GP because obviously I've had a lot of tra- training over the years with species of fish which are toxic and has unfortunately been stung by quite a few <laughs> so uh, yeah again local knowledge can also save you some very painful experiences so yeah um, 